This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We've been doing a series called Think Different, and we've talked about thinking differently about God, thinking differently about how we redefine our life. Um, today, I want to continue that theme of, of thinking different. One of the challenges that when people become believers in Christ and make a decision of faith in Christ is recognizing that our lives have changed on the inside, but there's still things that we have to, to work on, on the, that they're exterior things. And one of those would be our thinking. And just because you got born again doesn't mean your thinking got born again. And we have to begin to, to think differently. And what happens is we find that even after coming to the Lord, we, we tend to think in the very same patterns that we did before we knew him. If, if you'll notice, most of your habits that you have, you have habits where you brush your teeth the same way, you put on your socks the same way, you button your shirt the same way. And so th these are just physical habits. You know, we have mental habits too. And we have patterns and ways of thinking that are just the same way. We face a situation and immediately our mind goes to the very same thing. And so th this is something where we're having to realize, hey, I, I want to begin to think differently than that. We, we need some disruptors. For example, most of you who come on, on Sundays are accustomed to seeing me here. But if I did this and walked down the steps and came out here to where on the floor. Now I teach from the floor on Sunday, on Wednesdays. But if you're, you're Sunday, you're thinking, what is he doing? <laughs> this is making me a little bit nervous. <laughs> oh no, he's coming back here. Yes, he is. <laughs> oh. And you know, and what happens is this is, you're thinking, Alan, this, this is weird. Now, no, it's not weird. It's different. And, and when we're learning how to, uh, to, to change our thoughts, that, that actually is a biblical process where we're having to have some disruptors, some things that... that Good to have you all. Good to see you. Thank you. <laughs> Didn't think I'd be down here with you, would you? Yeah. I'm just messing with them. That's, that's it really, yeah. Yes. But what happens is we need some disruptors. And so the Bible actually talks about that. It talks about something called renewing the mind. And, and you say, well, Alan, I, I'm a Christian. Isn't that enough? Well, it's good. But renewing the mind is a process, and it's an important process. Go ahead and put that. I'm going to go up here so you all can feel comfortable again. <laughs> Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't be conformed, it said, to the pattern of this world. And the world has, and when you say, what do you mean the pattern of this world? Is he talking about the earth? No, what it's talking about is a system of thought and belief that, that it's, it's, some is subtle, some is blatant, but what it's basically saying is this world that we can see, feel, and touch is all there is, and God's not a part of it. Now, if you stop and think, most every narrative that we have, every book, every movie, every, almost all the movies, all television shows, have you ever noticed it all is about man and God's not even involved? I mean, I've never seen a, a Mission Impossible thriller when they're about to do something amazing and Tom Cruise doesn't reach out and say, guys, let's pray before we begin this process. <laughs> you, you don't see that anywhere. You know, I've Unfortunately, I've watched probably more Hallmark shows than I can write those things. And, and you, know, you know, in Hallmark, the two best looking people in town 
meet, and then they, they, they fall in love, and they're about to kiss, but before they kiss, they have a conflict. There's always a conflict. And it looks like, oh, no, they're not going to get together. And they, But you know what? I've never watched it, and I've seen it plenty. You know what they don't do? They don't go, let's pray. Father, what do you think about this individual, and should I be involved? They never pray, and, but it always works out, and they kiss at the end. And everyone goes, yay, and everyone thinks, that's the way life is. No, it's really not the way life is because even though everything around us is telling us there is no God and it's all about us, there is a God and he is real and there is a world that's bigger than the one that we're living in now. And that's, that's a real thing. So the, the thinking is, and there's a flow of thought that says man is isolated, we're alone. There's a flow of thought that really thinks scarcity. Have you ever noticed how much fear is involved and scarcity is involved in our thinking. We got to get enough. There's not enough love, not enough people, not enough relationships, not enough. You know, you hear people say, there's just, there's no good men out there. There's no good women out there. People think scarcity and they think there's not, there's not enough for me. You, you got to get, can be very selfish, very self-absorbed, heavily influenced by fear. Fear is, is just prevalent. In fact, fear is so prevalent. We don't think twice about it. We're like, oh, I was afraid of this. I was afraid, ooh, so afraid of that. And we just talk about it like, well, it's, it's part of our life. And understand, a little boy, five years old, his mom came in to the room. He was in the middle of a thunderstorm. He was kind of scared and she tucked him in and comforted him. She's getting ready to leave. And he said, he said, mommy, will you, will you stay and spend the night, you know, with me here? And she smiled. She said, no, darling, I, I have to spend the night in daddy's room. And he's quiet for a minute and a bit, and then he kind of pokes his lip off. He says in a quivering voice, the big sissy. <laughs> but we just think fear. And we, we think, but there's, I mean, so many. Fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of commitment, so, so many fear. And you think that's just the flow of the world. And so this is why, in what Paul's writing, he said, look, don't be conformed to the flow of this world, but be transformed. That word transform is actually where the word we get metamorphosis. It's a complete transformation from the inside out. Be transformed by the re renewing or the renovating of our mind. So in other words, you just don't get a brand new mind, but you have to begin to think new. And one of the ways that we begin to, begin to renovate our mind is we begin to put God into our thoughts that we begin to get him involved in our thoughts. And listen, that won't make you weird. It will make you different. And God in our thoughts, as other words, we're saying is, I'm not alone. So many times we look at the situation and we think, do I have what it takes to get this done? But when we bring God into our thoughts, we're thinking, I'm not alone here. I've got God. Instead of thinking scarcity all the time, there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough. We begin to think, wait, wait, I'm connected to a God of abundance. You ever notice whatever Jesus showed up, he always left more than what they needed. When he fed 5,000, they took up 12 baskets full of food, 12 big baskets. That means everybody had eaten. Everyone was full. People had stuffed a little bit of food away in their pockets to take home. And they still took up 12 baskets. And Jesus asked his disciples, he said, when we fed the 5,000, how many baskets did you take up? When we fed the 4,000, how many baskets did we take up? In other words, when Jesus filled the fishing boats, they said, throw your nets out here. They didn't pull in two skinny fish and a crab. They pulled in enough to almost sink a fishing boat. 
So we don't live with a God of scarcity. We live with a God of abundance. And that's a different way of thinking. And then the, the big thing is we begin to replace the fear with faith. Both deal with the unseen. Fear deals with the unseen and draws back. Faith deals with the unseen and moves forward in confidence. And that's a different way of thinking. There's a, a, a man by the name of Dr. E. Stanley Jones. He's, he, he died in 1973. Famous missionary, statesman, evangelist. But he was in India. They called him the Billy Graham of India. He reached a lot of people. He was a, he was a confidant of FDR right around the time of World War II. And he was brilliant, very progressive thinker. As I, if you, just Google him sometimes, just fascinating some of the things he said. He wrote this about faith and fear. I don't read things to you a lot, but this is worth reading because of the imagery that it conjures up. It's thinking different. Stanley Jones, e. Stanley Jones writes, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am made so that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my, my being is grasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. A John Hopkins University doctor says, we do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than the non-worriers, but it's a fact. Stanley Jones says, but I who am simple of mind think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. Say, whoa, man, that's deep. Yeah, it, it's deep, but it's true. And the idea of thinking, hey, wait a minute. I wasn't made to live in fear. I wasn't made to live with dread. I wasn't made to live in negativity. I was made to walk in light. And this morning, I, I want to talk about thinking in the light. How do we begin to think in the light? Great example of it in the Bible, in Numbers, the 13th chapter of the, the nation of Israel. They'd come out of Egypt. They'd been delivered from slavery. And God had led them through the wilderness, taking care of them. They've come right up to the edge of the promised land. This was the land that God had promised them. He said, it's a beautiful land. I've given it to you. It's yours. And Moses sent 12 leaders into the land to spy it out. Now, these weren't 12 random volunteers. These were leaders. They would be today like senators, people that we esteem. And they sent them in. And when they came back, they brought fruit. They brought some of the produce. They said, man, it's a great land. And then everything changed. They said, it's a great land, but we got problems. Because the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all kinds of ites are living in the land. And the cities are walled and they're large. And, and, we got, and when they begin to say that, these leaders are saying that, all of a sudden people start getting nervous and they're starting to get rattled. And Caleb had to silence them. Let's see what happens. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. These actually were a group of people that died off uh, in the flood with Noah. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept out loud, and all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now you talk about thinking in the dark. This is thinking in the dark. It starts with we can't and then goes downhill from there. We can't do it. He said, for these people are stronger than we are. How, how do you know they're stronger? You haven't even fought them yet. They made a visual observation and said, we can't do it. We can't, they're stronger. And then they continued to go downhill. They said, and this, is a, this is a bad neighborhood, guys. I said, this is a neighbor. You don't want to be around this neighborhood. It's kind of like we were talking about the south side of, of Chicago or East LA. They're like, this is, ba- this is a bad place. This place kills people. And, and then, and, and then we, saw, we saw giants there. You notice how this just keeps going down here? Now, now they're exaggerating. We saw giants there and we look like grasshoppers. How many of you realize that's an exaggeration? That's a, but it's a negative. Once you begin to go negative, it keeps going downhill. And after all that, the people, they cried all night, woke up in the morning in a bad mood. How many of you know if you cry all night, you are not going to wake up feeling good. And they woke up in the morning and now they're upset and they're like, why has the Lord brought us out here to kill us? That's what he's, you're like, do you see where this is going? This has gone so far. Now we got the Lord who's brought them out there just to kill them. If he wanted to kill them, he could have let Pharaoh's soldiers do it. He could have killed them in the Red Sea. He could have let them starve to death. He could have let them thirst to death. He had a lot of opportunities to kill them. He didn't bring them out there to kill them. But once you go negative, it gets worse. And they're like, now the Lord is, we, we're going we're gonna to go back into slavery. Now, how's that going to work? We're going to walk back to Egypt and go, hey, we were slaves. We'd like to get our slave job back again. Come on. So you could see how negative that, that went. But there are two guys who thought light. They thought in the light. And the contrast is huge. So let's look at, at Caleb and Joshua. So Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land. They were part of the twelve. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord's pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. That's a whole different thought. So these these two guys saw the same land. And they're so upset because everyone's getting ready to go back to Egypt. They tore their clothes. I am so glad that's not part of our culture. But it is like, it's like, ah, this is a great land. And then the first thing they said was, if the Lord delights in us, he's going to bring us into this. You see, the other guys never even mentioned God until we got down to God's trying to kill us. They bring in God and they bring him in quick. God will help us in this area. He will help us take this land. He said, don't, don't, don't rebel against, he said, don't rebel against them and don't fear the people. Then 
Then they said, their protection has departed from them. Well, how could they even see that? Listen, when you get on God's side, you begin to think like he says, you'll see things other people don't see. Other people, they, they saw the giants. These people saw people whose protection was gone. And they said, don't be afraid. The Lord's on our side. He will help us. We're gonna, we can do this. And you thought everyone would have said, praise God, that's excellent. Let, <laughs> let's do it, man. Let's go. They said, no. You read the rest of the story. They said, no. We ought to kill these guys. Can, can I share something with you? When you begin to renew your mind and begin to think differently, don't expect everybody to get excited about it. Because have you, have you ever noticed that if you ever get around positive people, negative people don't like to be around positive people. Someone goes, I'll tell you what, this company is just a lousy company. I wouldn't want to ever work for this company. This is a sorry company. See, see, see. <laughs> That's right. Back me up. That's it. <laughs> if you take that tact and, and you just jump in on the negative, it's just so easy to go in that flow. But if you begin to say, I'm glad to work for this company. It's a good company. I, I'm, I'm grateful for this job. God gave me this job. It's, it's a blessed job. We're blessed on the job. Don't expect everyone to go, praise God. What an awesome perspective you have. <laughs> it's not weird. It's different, but it's thinking in the light. How do you think in the light? That's a process. It won't happen overnight, but you can start it. It's a process. And, and here's, uh, here's what, if we're going to think in the light, we need to stream God's light into our life. Psalms 119, 130 said, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The entrance of God's word gives light. You, I, listen, if you've been here two weeks, you've heard me talk about, why is he always talking about reading your Bible, speaking God's word, quoting the word, memorizing the word? Why is he all talking about that? Is he trying to win brownie points with God? No, he's not. What he's trying to do is encourage you to put God's light in your mind. And when you begin to do that, it elevates your thinking. And our, our thinking begins to go up and we begin to join the, the Caleb's and the Joshua's. We begin to go, yeah, we can do this. Yeah, we can do this. God will help us and we can do this. That's different thinking. In 1871, they had what was called the Great Chicago Fire, almost destroyed the city of Chicago. The fire started on the other side of the river and jumped the river and hit Chicago. So how did it jump the river? Part of it was winds blew it on some wooden boats that were moored up on the other side. But the other part was that the river didn't stop it. The Chicago River was called the Stinky River. It ran into the Lake Michigan. It was filled with human waste. It was filled with the, the Chicago stockyards, all dumped the animal waste in there. It was sludgy, disease-filled, and just nasty. And when the fire hit that water, it didn't stop. It combusted. It was so nasty and foul that the, that the fire was able to jump over onto the Chicago side. That river was such a problem that in the 1880s and 1890s, over 10,000 people every year in Chicago died due to waterborne diseases. Typhoid, cholera. One year, 1885, 100,000 people died. So they finally, some engineers said, we got to do something about this river. This nasty river that flows into Lake Michigan that pollutes our water. So that's where they got their drinking water from Lake Michigan. So they, they dug canals and they dug 
27 miles of canals. They moved more earth than was moved in the Panama Canal. And they dug these canals, and then on January 2nd of 1900, they opened the sluice gate, and they let Lake Michigan flood into these canals, and it actually reversed the course of the river. And the river went from dumping into Lake Michigan, it went down and dumped into another river, which eventually dumped into the Mississippi. And it cleared out all that nastiness and all that because they dumped all this fresh water in. Of course, the people downstream did not appreciate it because it dumped all of it on them. But historians said changing that river's course kept Chicago alive. They don't think Chicago would have made it. Now you're thinking, okay, Alan, great. Why the history lesson? Because I think it's a great type. It's a great metaphor. Our thinking often has been filled with junk and sludge and disease and negative, but we can, and it's flowing in a direction. But thank God, if they can reverse a river, we can reverse our way of thinking. We open the floodgates of God's word and it can begin to push out all that negative, all that defeatist, all that depression, all that junk in our thinking, it can begin to move it out of the way. You say, Alan, will that work for me? I've been battling my thoughts for a long time. Listen, God's word brings light. And you begin to put God's word in, it will work for you. It will change the way you think. It will elevate. And you'll begin to think in the light. Here's the second thing, and I've got to do this quickly. The second thing is the verse that's found in Romans, the first chapter, talking about the condition of man without God. I want you to see something. We're going to flip it. It says here in Romans, for although they knew God, people, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. That means unprofitable. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Now let's switch that. Although they know God, they glorified him as God and were thankful and their thinking became profitable and their hearts were enlightened. So you can take that and begin to switch it. So what am I saying? He says, what do you mean glorify God? It's kind of a religious phrase. What does that mean? To glorify God means to put God above everything, to put him in first place. It means to honor him, to recognize him, to esteem him. I like to say this, to make a big deal about God. When we saw, the, we saw those 10 spies, the 10 spies came back and they said, there's giants, there's problems, there's walled cities. They made a big deal about the problem. Two men walked back and said, we got a big God and because we've got a big God and they made a big deal over him, we can take this land and they eventually went in. They went in and did it. So when you're, listen, all of us face things in life. Joy and I dealt with something just recently. Oh, and it grieved our heart and, and it just, and we cried and, and, and we're just like, it's hurting. But then we didn't stay there. We switched it. We begin to say, and here's a great question, but what about God? But what about God? We face things and often our pattern goes to, I'm by myself, I'm alone, I don't have help. But what about God if you belong to him? Child of God, he's on your side. He will help you. But what about God brings him into our thinking? And when I told Joy that, I said, the Lord has helped us. He has sustained us. He will help us in this situation. And it immediately lifts our thoughts and you bring your thoughts out of the dark into the light. But what about God? God's on our side. God's helping us. And what are you doing? When you're doing that, you're making a big deal about God and a small deal about the problem. And boy, that will bring light and life into your thinking. You're like, oh yeah, but I got a big God. Here's the second one is 
that you give thanks. Giving thanks is one of the greatest ways to stay connected to God and one of the greatest ways to move some of the junk, nasty thinking out of our minds. Have you ever noticed, and I've been there so I can speak to this, there have been times in my life I've been depressed. I can honestly tell you I've never been depressed and grateful at the same time. I've never walked in and said, my gosh, I feel depressed today, but I am so incredibly grateful. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. They're mutually exclusive. And, and when you're grateful, what are you doing? You're thanking God for everything he's done. Oh, Lord, thank you. See, a lot of us in here today wouldn't be here, like on this planet, if it wasn't for the fact that God had mercy on us. There's a lot of us that wouldn't be here today unless God's healing power hadn't intervened in our life. There's a lot of us that wouldn't be here today unless God got involved. He's He's kept us out of accidents. He has protected us. He's healed us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He has saved us. We've got a lot we can go. Lord, thank you for everything you've done, but not just what you've done. Thank you for what you're going to do because I've still got problems and you're still my God, so you can still help me. And moving forward, moving forward, we're thanking God. God, thank you for your help going forward. And what does that do? That keeps our thinking profitable and it brings light on the inside. We glorify him as God and we are a thankful person. Quick story and I'll close. A professor, true story, professor stepped into her psychology class at the end of the the semester and uh, the, the class was all waiting for her to share something, words of wisdom. And she took a glass of water and she held it over her head. She said, how much does this water weigh? People shouted out everything from a few ounces to a few pounds. And and she kept the glass there. She kept talking. She said, actually, what this glass of water weighs is is irrelevant. She says, what is important is how long do I keep it here? She said, if I keep this glass here for just a few minutes, it doesn't weigh much. She said, if I keep this glass here for an hour, it starts to get really, really heavy. She said, if I keep this glass here for an entire day, it's going to be painful. I'm cramping. My back's hurting. It's just, it's, it's going to be a lot of pain. And then she looked at them. Actually, she kept the water above her head. She said, in life, you're going to have frustrations, negative things, stress, a lot of things. She said, it's not how it happens, but how long you hang on to it. She said, if you hang on to it just for a short time, it, it's, it's not going to do that much damage. You hang on to it for a, a couple of hours, it'll begin to do some damage. You hang on to it for day after day and it will do a lot of damage. When I heard that, I thought, oh yeah, isn't that the truth? And aren't you glad that we've got something that helps remove that, that, the problems and the frustrations and all that? We're, listen, we're going to have those in life, but we don't have to allow them to dominate our life. We can take them down and say, Lord, I want to thank you that you and I, you and I, Lord, together, we can whip this situation. We can devour them. That's thinking in the light. And instead of letting the negatives just dominate we can begin to renew, to renovate our mind, to inject God in our thinking. It's a process, guys, but it's worthwhile pursuing because thinking in the light makes life so much better. Could you bow your heads just for a moment? I'm going to ask, please, just for the next few minutes, no one get up and leave. If you'll give us just a couple of minutes out of respect for the Lord and respect for the, just for the people around you. This morning, or it's afternoon now, this afternoon, if you're here and you say, Alan, I... I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life or or I'm just really not sure. 
I don't know where I'd go tonight if I died. That's a, that's a, that's a daunting question. But I want to be sure. We're going to say a prayer. And you can get in on this prayer. Things can change right now. Or maybe you're like I was. You're raised in church. You've made a decision. You'd walk with the Lord, but you've gotten away from Him. And you recognize today, I don't want to walk away from the Lord. I want to walk with Him. That's a great decision. And if, if you're here today, you say, I, I, I want the Lord back in my life. We're going to say a prayer. Now, we're not going to ask you to stand up and we're not going to ask you to walk down to the front. But I am going to ask you to do one thing. If you're saying, Alan, I want a relationship with the Lord, or I want to be sure of my relationship with the Lord, or Alan, I want to come back. Would you pray for me? I'm going to ask you to do one thing real quick. And it's, it takes guts, but it's a powerful thing. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand real quick. Just shoot it up across the auditorium and say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Say yes. Great. Wonderful. Way up at the top. Yeah. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you for your courage. That took guts to do that. That's the smartest decision you'll ever make. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one moving or looking around. We're going to say a prayer. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You wanted to. You can still jump in on this prayer. This is a prayer right from the heart. We're going to pray it. Pray it so all of us, pray it so we can hear it out loud. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Father, thank you for those who prayed that prayer to, this afternoon, for those who've come back home, for those who've stepped into life for the very first time, and for the rest of us. Father, thank you for the capacity we have, that we were built for faith, created to walk with you in confidence. Thank you for that. What a privilege. Help us to think in, in light of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.